This is Dave Chang. And Chris Ying. We are the hosts of Recipe Club. You may have listened to it before, but we are now back on the air, new and improved, with the same hosts that lose every week. I still don't know what the rules are because they've changed as well. Chris, can you give a quick rundown? Every week, we debate the best way to cook the things you want to eat. We take a user, listener, submitted recipe, and we all cook it with our friends, Priya Krishna, Rachel Kong, Brian Ford, and John DeBerry. And then we talk about what went right and what went wrong. No, I actually really don't want to do this podcast. (laughs) And they are hardly our friends. They are enemies. They are enemies. It's Dave's civil disobedience. If you want to see Dave Chang in an act of civil disobedience, tune into Recipe Club where he will not follow the recipe. I'm contractually obligated (laughs) to make this podcast. (laughs) But I'm here to have a good time. So listen to Recipe Club every week on the Ringer Podcast Network. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome to the Ringer's Prestige Podcast feed. That is Charles Holmes, host of the Ringer Music Show, and the Midnight Boys on the Ringerverse. I am Van Lathan, uh, host of the Midnight Boys, pew, pew, and Higher Learning with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay. But together, we are here to talk about Atlanta. We've been doing this. Charles, have you been enjoying our Atlanta coverage? I think we've been in our bag. You know, I think everybody had the Midnight Boys pegged. They like they can only Ooh. talk about superhero shit. And then we came and we're giving them we're giving them that real shit. You know what I'm saying? I, some people are upset. Some people are happy. But I think we're in our bag. What about you, man? How are you feeling after we're halfway through? We're halfway through. I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying Atlanta. I'm enjoying. We're like the Midnight Men here. You know, we're like, <laughs> like, this is yeah. like, this is like mature stuff that we're doing. Um, all right, are you drinking a cut water? No, I'm drinking a nice spin drift, trying to stay fucking hydrated out here. You know what I'm saying? That rich people Brooklyn shit. You got that. <laughs> all right. So we are on episode six, White Fashion. Uh the the, the episode was all written and directed by Ibra Ake, and it is a pretty shrewd commentary on social justice, on selling out. And <laughs> on what it means to be successful and try to affect your community. It starts off with uh, the hilarious, the hilarious, uh, a hilarious, shall I say, look into a fashion house that steps their foot in it. We've seen this before. We've seen this with H&M putting uh, the coolest monkey in the jungle on a little black Oof. boy. We saw this with Gucci. 
and the whole lip gate thing. Um, and in this particular one, we see a fashion house that puts... Esco Esco is, I, I believe, the fashion house. Esco Esco that puts Central Park on the back of a jersey and five as the number, complete with a promotional poster that features a white girl laying around a group of black people. If you do not know what that's in reference to, it is, of course, in reference to, and it is distasteful because of the Central Park Five jogger case that resulted in five black and brown boys being convicted of a crime they did not commit in the late 80s in New York City. Those gentlemen have since been known as, come to be known as, the Exonerated Five, um, and they were brilliantly, brilliantly portrayed in the Ava DuVernay uh, a limited series on Netflix, When They See Us. So that is something that is in the zeitgeist, has been for a little while. Wait, and, I think you missed one thing, though, about the jersey. Give it to which, me. Which, like, I, I saw on second viewing, the mascot that they put on the front of the jersey is a raccoon, which is <laughs> like, it. I didn't really, like, it took me on a second viewing where I was just like, oh, man, this, it takes the joke from like really biting to oh my gosh like you're this absolutely is a right you're <laughs> absolutely right you couldn't be more right um yeah so in uh response to the controversy that surrounds this piece of fashion they have to do what they always do which is assemble uh, a diversity uh, a diversity council and an advisory council and make a big show out of the fact that they are going to rededicate themselves to issues of diversity and inclusion and attempt to understand uh, by talking to the community how they fucked this up. And for our purposes, as Atlanta viewers, they are going to use Paperboy, who is now, once again, yet again, a another clue as to how big of a deal Paperboy has become is big enough to where a fashion house like this would uh, enlist the services of Paperboy to help them put out this fire. Yeah, I think this episode, for everybody saying that like season three is a little wonky, I would argue that White Fashion is not only the best episode of the season so far, but it ranks among one of the best episodes of Atlanta, period. I think what they are doing in this episode, especially around as a Black person, can you affect change within a corrupt institution? And once you're in that institution, how much will greed, how much will your closeness to wealth and influence change the foundation of everything that you're fighting for? Because it's not just Khalil, it is all of these activists who no longer are fighting for their people. They're fighting over scraps for themselves. And I'm like, that is such a difficult thing to pull off and make funny. And this episode does it superbly. I love this episode. What about you? I loved it as well. There's also a subplot with Darius who goes to a Nigerian restaurant and thinks that he is doing this restaurant a favor by bringing someone he met at Esco Esco over to the restaurant. Um, well, he didn't necessarily think he was doing them a favor. It just kind of happened. He thought that something good had come out of it when the woman whose husband is involved in food service, he runs commissaries all over uh, the, the city where they're at, uh, she decides that she wants to invest into the place, which would seem like it's a good idea 
but it turns out to absolutely not be a good idea. And I feel like there is a theme in this episode of how you stay pure when you get in proximity to commerce or to whiteness. That's the That seems to be the underlying thing because what we see from the Nigerian restaurant that ends up becoming a Niger Bowl is that when it was untouched, when it was what it was, it was pure, it was real, it was a place to where you could even bring your own meat and then they would put whatever meat you liked into some of the dishes. But when, just to be honest with you, white money got a hold of it, it became fast, it became express, it became... Uh, fusion. It became everything. They gentrified ex- jollof gentrified. rice. They gentrified <laughs> jollof rice. It became everything except for what it was, which was an authentic expression of culture. And this episode seems to be uh, these characters existing in a tug of war between those two things. When Ernest talking to uh, Paperboy about why they might not want to do this or why he has reservations for doing it, what he feels is that black people never get get enough for lending their cultural voice to causes like this, that they always get corrupted by them. Um, and we see Paperboy, we see Al go through the the whole machinations of that throughout this episode. Yeah, so the the person that I wanted to bring up really quick is this DeRay send-up Khalil. So let's be honest with this, because I spoke to DeRay about this. You spoke so, to DeRay about this? <laughs> I did. I spoke, <laughs> I, 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 I spoke to DeRay about this. Um, he, he hasn't seen the episode yet. Uh, these are clearly send-ups between DeRay and the other gentleman. Um, these are clearly send-ups. I mean, to, for, the, for the viewers... He Khalil wears a red life preserver that is supposed to spoof the blue vest that DeRay, um, the Black Lives Matter activist, is is best known for. And let me just say the commentary not only on act this modern activism, but especially DeRay in this episode is very, very harsh. Can you kind of enlighten me like how DeRay might be feeling before he watches this episode. Well, so I feel like, and we should say, on the advisory council, you have one guy who's a send-up of DeRay, and there seems to be another guy who is a send-up of Sean King. Yes. A a very light-skinned man who, at one point, Paperboy is like, are we... Are we sure he's black and everybody looks around and they're like, uh, and he says the N-word, and then they was like, Yeah, that doesn't sound right. So yeah, they they go in. Right. Um, right. And yeah. we should say that the DeRay send up and the Sean King send up do not seem to get along, which of course uh, uh reflects the issues that these two men have had in actual real life. So when I spoke to DeRay about this episode, uh, if I'm being honest, he couldn't care less. I mean, it's, I would just <laughs> just to be real with you, uh, I've known him for a while. It's par for the course for him. He understands some of the criticisms that people have of him. I'm sure he'll get the opportunity to speak on this on his very own, and I don't mean to speak for him. Uh, but it just come as far as he's concerned. From what I gathered in the conversation I had with him, 
it just comes with the territory. It's just something that it 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 comes with it. It's just can it's I, a part of it. Can I pitch you on something that might be a controversial? You might be like, oh, how can you say this? As much as this episode like pokes at Duray, and as much as it skewers him, by the end of the episode, I agree. He's not wrong. Like at, out of everybody, like I don't like that the truth of what he tells Paperboy, and I think we should get into it later and maybe go chronologically, but I actually think this episode does a very good thing. Instead of demonizing DeRay, it shows you the ways that he actually understands very, in a very, very kind of fraught way how you have to act in these situations to get anything. And I'm not talking about sweeping changes, but to get at least something out of it, which I'm just like, that is actually a smart way to go about that. Right. So let's t- let's talk about it. Uh, Earn says to Paperboy that if he was going to do what they're going to do, which is es- essentially going to be a part of helping this company that made this egregious cultural era save face. That is what you're doing. You're going to help this country save face. So, oh, and and Earn says to Paperboy, point blank, period. I feel like this is like an Uncle Tom thing. Like I, yeah. th- I feel like this is an Uncle Tom moment. It's an Uncle Tom, you moment. know, right? And he says, I might. He he tells Paperboy, he goes, you know, I might still do this. Paperboy says, Hey, I need the clothes because he asked the 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 Esco Esco for three years of free clothes. He asked them for free three suits for the the. Uh, the the press conference and he asked for free tailoring and you know he asked for some ribs and a dry rub whatever um so he he says to them he says paperboy says you know i, I care about the clothes i care about this and he's like, i don't care about coming off in 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 street in any way because i actually shot niggas before you know what i mean <laughs> so, i laughed at that moment yeah, i like, was he's <laughs> like i don't care about whether or not people think i'm street i'm really street so i don't care about whether or not people think i'm street uh which is poignant uh in, in, in its uh, on its own um earn says that yeah he might still do this entire deal but in order to do it he will need five years on the board he would want to learn their infrastructure so that he could then use what he learned from working with Esco Esco to help start programs where people would invest back into their own hoods and grow black fashion houses. Because at some point, you know, you look at guys like Bernard Arnault, who is the head of LVMH, which is Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. Um, he's worth over $100 billion. As far as I'm concerned, Louis Vuitton, Moet, Hennessy are all things that I learned culturally from other Black people. I never walked into a Louis Vuitton store in Baton Rouge because they didn't have any Louis Vuitton stores in Baton Rouge. Um, I didn't hear about Moet while like uh, vacationing on the French Riviera. I heard about it from puffing them. And as far as Hennessy is concerned, they used to put that shit in my bottle. So the re- so the, the, the that's a true fact. They used to put Hennessy in my bottle to calm me down when I was too unruly as a baby. So all of these things are almost black cultural traditions that are being handed down from generation to generation, but are enriching people that do not look like black people. So I think Earn's point point was that at some point in order to do this, we have to be able to in some way use what we learn to come back and grow our businesses and our hoods. So... At first, I watched this episode twice, and at first I was like, Earn has a point. Like, Earn, 
is very, very astute in his observations, and he's what he's saying is true. And on the second viewing, I was just like, ah, this kind of goes against everything that I that I believe. And what I mean is, is that I don't know if I don't know if the black liberation can happen under capitalism. And what I mean by that is like there's this idea of like, hey, if we can if we can reinvest, if we can build up black businesses, if we can get into these white companies, learn everything and take it back to our neighborhoods that we can we can start that road of building generational wealth. My thing is is especially you, the United States, but all across the world, is the world built for that? Will they actually allow that to happen? Because what you're actually seeing happening in Esco Esco is that they will never do what Earn is proposing. Because to do that would be to sign the papers of their own demise, for them to say the loud part, the loud uh, part out loud, that we owe all of this to Black people, Black culture across the globe, we're going to give you a seat on the board, is to let a fox into their hen house. And like, they are never going to do that. And I think that's something that Khalil knows. Khalil has has been around this enough being like, I have to take everything that I can, but what would actually give us Black liberation, this white company will never do. It, like, is that a wild thing to, to say? Maybe it's very, very negative. So here's the thing, here's the thing about liberation. No one gives you liberation. You take it. Yeah. So no one in the history of the world has ever been given liberation. The first, the the first story of liberation that we're all told is the Ten Commandments, right? It's Moses, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it, God had to compel Pharaoh in Exodus to give liberation to 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 give liberation to the to to the to the Israelites right it had to be taken it had to be you had to be compelled to do it right so to your point um no one's going to give you anything right the question is not so much about whether or not it'll be given to you because that's never going to happen right the question will is how you take it so hmm. like so it, it 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 because it's going to be taken. The question is just how, right? There are ways that you take it that are incredibly disruptive. There are ways there are ways that you take it that are incredibly violent, and there are ways that you take it that are incredibly uh, strategic. So the reality is, it could happen, but it wouldn't even be so much about what America didn't want to do. It really have to be more about whatever group that we're talking about in this case, black people, about what they didn't want to do because that would have to be intentional. I would have to intentionally say, "You are black, and I am going to support you because I want that for black people." Capitalism makes that almost impossible because in order to do that, you might have to end up dealing with a service or dealing with a product that is not the product or the service that you're used to dealing with. So like like so you you might have to buy something that is not in vogue that hasn't been around for 200 and some years and you might have to make that you'd have to make that like 
forget about Louis Vuitton or Esco Esco or anything like that. The black kid who's making the dope cl- kids or uh, the dope clothes on your block, you're gonna have to say fuck Louis Vuitton. You're gonna have to say fuck Dolce Cabana, fuck Givenchy, fuck all of that. And now you're going to have to rock his shit to the point to where he is the man. But you're not gonna do it on accident. It's gonna have to be intentional because it's gonna have to be intentional that you that you use. Uh, some black designer's new cellular device other than an iPhone. It's going to have to be intentional. And sometimes there be there might be access to materials that these other companies have that you don't have, and you might have to do stuff on the strength of the culture. When I go to a new black restaurant, uh, I realize they are not Mastro's, right? A new black steakhouse, they are still figuring it out. The grace that I give them is a cultural grace. It's a grace that I do not give to white corporate American structures because those structures aren't invested into the our communities. So what I'm saying is, to we're going to get back to Atlanta in a second, is it's possible, but no one gives you anything. Anything that anyone gives you is, be, is to benefit themselves. No one gives you anything to benefit you. Like if 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 a company is in trouble and they give you a seat on the board or they give you a seat on an advisory commission, they're giving you that because it helps them, not because they want to understand anything. They just want to sell clothes. So that's something that <laughs> that that in this episode, uh, Al has to learn. Al comes up with when he's talking to the advisory board, the advisory board that is made up of professional um, social justice warriors. Um, and because they're professionals, they they're sitting in a room and they don't even have the uh, the best interests of their communities on their mind at all. They're thinking about what they can get from their situations, right? Um, so because of that, he actually has to come up with the fact that Earn talked to him about the reinvest in your community plan, and he wants to get money from Esco Esco and then give it to black designers and help them reinvest into their hood. That's the idea that he comes up with. That's the idea that he thinks can actually lead to some meaningful change. I mean, even before we get there, I think the the thing that I wanted to touch on that you just said is that it's not just the fashion house. It's the reporters who are there who are a part of this system where they don't actually want black change. They they want someone, they want this advisory board to tell them that they're not racist. Because when yeah. Paperboy gets up on that, gets up on that table, there's a reporter who's like, all right, is is racism done? And like Paperboy's like, fuck no. And then Khalil is like, racism will be done by 2024. Right. And I don't know about you. I've been in situations where I've been the black dude having to call white, like, like yo, that's racist. And what I realized in that moment is I'm just like, they're like, what do you mean? Oh my gosh. what? And I realized like, oh, you don't want to understand why what you did is racist. You want me as a black person to tell you what you have to do. So I don't think you're racist anymore. And I'm just like, that is the level that Paperboy isn't understanding where I'm just like, yo, all the only reason that you are here is so that this company, to your point, can keep selling clothes. And the fastest way for them to do that is for you to get up there and be like, yeah, racism is over now because I'm here now, which is, it's just so grim, but the show makes it so fucking funny. Right. Because the show makes it funny because what Atlanta as a show, and there's also a sub-thread going on with Van and Earn where they seem to be getting it popping again. Yeah. <laughs> um, what Atlanta does a lot of times, and what it's done so brilliantly in this season, 
is it gets it's getting right to the point. It's uh it's taking that press conference and it's making that press conference into direct fuckery. See what happens to the fuckery is the fuckery gets hidden under vocabulary, it gets hidden under you know buzzwords, it's it it gets it gets talked around, but that reporter stands up and asks, "Do you think racism is still real?" based upon this. That's the fuckery of this because every single time a company gets in this type of trouble, they come back and they act like we fixed it all by talking to these five people and that's dumb. Like, it, like I'm not saying, I, I'm, I'm saying that talking to those five people, whoever they might be, can help. I've been on advisory boards before, not of companies after they fucked up, but like, for example, I was on the advisory board of the Judas and the Black Messiah film that came out from Warner Brothers, right? Because they wanted to make sure that they handled Chairman Hampton's memory correctly. So they put together an advisory board of people and it was our job to make sure to go through this different strategy and stuff that was happening and that nothing untoward ended up happening. And there was some stuff that we had to be like, nah, don't do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it was, there was some stuff that we had to be like, nah, I don't think we should do that. Like that's, that's a, a like don't, don't, like there was one particular thing that we had to be like, nah, do not do that. Like, seriously, don't do that whatsoever. And so these companies, sometimes they 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 act in ways that are counter at cross purposes to what the people, people like Fred Hampton and other people like that are, are trying to get at. So back to our story, uh, Ern, uh, Al, Paperboy, is uninitiated into this world. He doesn't know it. Everything that he does is very, very genuine. Like, when he tells you he's going to fuck you up, he means it. When he says he wants uh, 300 chicken legs and uh, 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 a bottle of champagne at 1.30 in the morning, he means it. So he gets around a bunch of people who are saying what they don't mean to, to... They're saying things they don't mean to get an outcome that they desire. And he's not used to that. And so his I mean, energy clashes with theirs. I mean, the thing that I loved about that scene when the advisory board is all together is that this is an unnamed company, but some racist shit happened or was about to happen. And all the black people and a bunch of women found out at this at this company that I worked at. So I'm one of the first people that gets up in front of like all of the all my bosses and leaders. be, And I tell them like, yo, this is racist. The fact that you tried to hide it is fucked up. And like I went in, I told them just like, yo, this is everything that you do every single time some something happens. And what I realized is everybody starts going in, going in. I leave. And then I was so angry and so passionate. And I had led everybody else to be super passionate, whatever, leave. They present me with the biggest opportunity of my career thereafter. And I go, I turn to like one of my black mentors and I go, I feel like this is a payoff. And he's like, that's absolutely what it is. Like they, do, like they want you to be happy now because they know that if you keep being angry, there's a bunch of people behind you that you're inspiring to be angry. And if you get this thing that will help you and your career, it's fine. They, that's what they do. And like, there was this thing where I was like, I can take this because like if I don't they're going to they're going to do it anyway and they're going to fuck it up and it's going to be even more racist but I'm going to feel like a sellout and the biggest moment of my career is tainted now 
And I realized in that moment, I'm like, oh, this is what happens when those all this advisory boards, that has happened to them countless, countless, countless times to the point where they don't even turn to someone and being like, is this blood oh, money? What they a just fantastic take point. Like the first <laughs> you know? time it happened to them, it, it might have been something that they were uncomfortable with, but now they understand that this is the way that it goes. And here's the thing about this. Somebody that's been doing this for a very long time told me, he said, you can either be a sellout or you can be ineffective. And I was like, what? Ooh. And I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah. It's like, we need the money and we don't have it. So somebody's got to sell something. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> and, That's so he, grim, he, but like he, so he, fucking smart. Yeah, he's like, he's like, somebody's got to sell something. We need the money and we don't have it. So somebody got to do it. And it was like, if you, if you're going to like, you know, if you're going to be down there, you're going to like try to, you're going to try to take donations from a hood that doesn't have any donate, doesn't have any money to do things that they, that people don't want them to do. He's like, well, good luck with that. He's like, either you're going to, you're going to go some places you didn't think you're going to have to go, or you're going to be ineffective. So choose one. And I was like, God damn, it can't be like that. But a lot of the people that we talk to, it, they say that it is. So the reason why the fact that Khalil's character ends up expressing this to Paperboy at the end is so important is because they de-demonized him. They made him look like a fraud at first. At the end, they made it look, they made him look like somebody who is playing a game the only way that it can possibly be played for him. The other game. I mean, can I read you what he says? Absolutely. Because I wrote it, it down. Please. So it's so good. He Khalil says to Paperboy, quote, why would a company make a project that would teach Black people to stop buying their products and reinvest in their own? Why would they fund their own demise? And what, what you realize is, I looked at his vest. Atlanta is very smart. His vest is a symbol. You could think of it as, as just a send-up of the blue vest that DeRay wears. But what he's actually wearing is a life preserver that you wear when you're drowning. And what it says in the corner in white is Survivor. And what I realized is I'm like, they could have chosen anything, but they chose a life preserver and Survivor because Khalil is right. He knows how to survive in this world. And I'm not saying that he's pure. He's corrupt. But I do think that like I've even learned this in my career. I'm just like, there's a level of the more success that you get and the closer that you get to wealth and whiteness there's a level of corruption that you are going to, even if you don't think is happening, it is. And you like you always have to realize that. And I think Khalil knows that. That's how he's gotten this far. Mm -hmm. But it's such a thing where it's just like, you never want to be like, I'm corrupted. I'm part of the problem. But it's like, it's almost impossible not to be. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. So Aaron had, comes up with an idea. He makes a very heartfelt video, Invest in Your Hood. 
Oh, you mean Paperboy? Paperboy, excuse me. Makes a very heartfelt video. Reinvest in your hood. Comes up with a little bop. They change it. <laughs> <laughs> they change the video. That's go, that's go, people. They change the video. They change the video into an all lives matter. Uh, it's not, it has nothing to do with black people. What they do sometimes is they make black people a part of the conversation and not the exact conversation. It's kind of like dealing with American politicians sometimes where you say, hey, what specifically are we going to do for black people? They go, no, we're not going to do anything specifically for black people. We're going to do something for Cleveland and we know that there are black people there. And then <laughs> you'll be like, what? Like, well, don't we need something specific for us? No, 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 no. This is what we'll do. We'll go into a specific place and everybody with the last name Johnson We'll do something for them, and we just know that there are a lot of Black Johnsons, so hopefully you guys get something too. And you'll be like, God damn! You know what I mean? So that's kind of what they did to his message. Al doesn't understand that, and Khalil has to explain to him. At the same time, we have Darius, who is learning that same lesson in a different way. When Darius comes back to his favorite Nigerian restaurant because he wanted jollof rice, and he couldn't get the jollof rice. They didn't know where to go. He takes them to go. He, the, the people from Esco Esco, the woman, takes them to go get it. She eats the food. She loves the vibe. She loves the ambiance. She loves the uh, Nigerian lady who uh, is, is waiting on them. And to show her love for it, she commodifies it. She takes it and she gentrifies it. And she, she says there's a lot of growth potential. And I was like, Damn, there's a lot of growth I knew potential. That. I knew right there. And, and Darius then is left wondering something that we're all wondering. Is it better to be rich or pure? Like you said before. Is it better to be successful and watered down or real and niche? Hmm. And every single artist that we've ever known has dealt with this. Every single person. Spike Lee, I love Spike Lee. He ended up winning his first Oscar for a movie that the NYPD gave him hundreds of thousands of dollars to make. And a movie that was literally about a double agent and a guy that went inside of not just the Klan, but inside of various Black Power organizations and tried to infiltrate them from the middle. So of all the times that Spike Lee like ended up saying fuck you to the establishment. The movie that he that ended up winning him his Academy Award, Do the Right Thing, was by far the best movie of the year that it came out. The movie that ended up winning Absolutely. was about an agent. <laughs> an agent that wasn't just an agent inside the Klan. He was an agent. Love Spike. He wasn't just an agent inside the Klan. He was an agent inside of black organizations as well. He tried to destabilize them as well. It's just the facts. So... But you, if you're Spike, you want that Academy Award. You want to do all the things that that you've ever that you've ever said you were going to do before. Like you want those things, but is it possible? And would you? And if and and another thing is this: if the people that were running that Nigerian restaurant, I'll ask you this, Charles: if they sold to the Niger Bowl people and made all kinds of money for themselves and their family. Is it worth the sale? Is it worth losing something pure, getting some bullshit if the black people that sold it, our brothers and, our brothers and sisters in the diaspora, if it, they got their money, is it worth it? So, the reason 
it's difficult to ask answer that question is because I got the feeling that Sharon went behind their back because she says that she didn't even talk to the other. Ah, it's true. She she went to the she went to the landlord. She did some snake shit, and she's like, the landlord had been saying that they've been trying to sell for a while. You know what? So You're it right. Like she she bought the like their their entire business, not maybe not business, but their entire um the place that they were renting so that she could pop up her food truck. But I think the thing that I thought was so brilliant about that B plot is how much whiteness is like a virus where Darius doesn't even know he's a carrier. He thinks he's just going to a restaurant to enjoy it. And he's so pure and so innocent, he's just trying to share this experience with someone else. What he doesn't realize is that's how gentrification happens. The minute she says, oh, there's growth potential here, Darius should have been smart enough to realize, oh no, she's going to take something that is for the community and is small for a reason and is going to come Not even for the community, of the community. Of the, yes, perfect, yes. And I think that the the sadness of everything that happened is I'm like yeah I could I could deal with that woman getting paid because I always say this for all black people like even when sometimes they get paid for shit I'm like damn I'm just like but also I know how it is I can't be mad at a brother and a sister for coming up because I know sometimes the life changing effect of money like like let's just keep it real like it sometimes it is blood money. But yo, sometimes money can change an entire family's life. You need money. You know what I mean? I'm like, look, yeah. look, 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 man, we've never had money. We need money. And the reality <laughs> is, anytime I just watched an interview with Takashi 69, and it's a bunch of goons uh in the in the interview with Takashi 69, he got a bunch of goons, and they straight up say, they go, look, he's a rat, but <laughs> this rat is like providing for me. You know what I'm saying? Like they straight up said, and I'm not saying nothing they didn't say. It's like this, like why? It's like why can't other people do kick it with a rat for whatever? It's like why can't I kick it with a rat for a bag? Like people need money. People be fucked up out here, so they do shit. I mean, and I think the genius of this episode is that you see it from so many angles, where Paperboy himself is trying to do this out of the kindness of his heart and fails, and Darius isn't trying to do anything and still fails and that is what's so pervasive about this is that like you could have the best of intentions and you could have no intentions and this will continue to happen it's it's a force in the world racism is a force it's going to bowl, bowl you over whether you want it to or not yeah let's talk about van and Ern, uh van and Ern. let's talk about uh well van and Ern. yeah let's talk about van and Ern. Yeah, i don't know why van I, and let's talk about van and Ern. i'm trying to say that it's my name it's my name <laughs> let's all call her Vanessa. Let's talk about Van and Ern real quick. Uh, so uh, Ern is in a hotel and he is looking around and he sees Van walking to the hotel. She sits down. They talk. They haven't seen each other in a while because she's been off doing her own thing, gallivanting around Europe, gallivanting, uh, gallivanting around Europe and has been slow to respond to his text messages. A woman comes in uh, Karen archetype comes in and says that <laughs> so that was a very funny scene. She goes, she saw that Van stole a wig out of a store that they were in. I think the store was called Christine's. And she goes, I'm not gonna let you st steal this wig. And then at one point she goes, 
It's all up to me. <laughs> Did she say she says something to the effect of like citizens are she citizens arrest? She's like, I can't let you do this. It's all up to me. And just the fact that she said it's all up to me. Atlanta has this way of I'm telling you, man, saying the direct thing that we know that people are thinking when they do these things. And it just it's so hilarious. Uh Earn ends up flipping this. Van probably did steal the wig, by the way. Earn, no, I think Van kind of confirms that yeah. she did by by the end. And then, to your point, Earn, my God, he is like, if he was so ineffectual in season two, this man is a fucking wizard in this season. Yeah. Like, he is so good at his job. Yeah. So he uses this to talk to the, I guess, the, uh, the concierge there. Concierge? Yeah. And he finagles one room free, uh, one one night free in the best suite they have in the hotel, and there's a romantic scene that happens to really kind of end the episode between um, Ern and Van. And Ern seemingly wakes up alone, even though they have this dalliance. What do you think is happening between them? So, I wanted to pitch this to you because we have talked, you know, our sisters and our brothers in the culture. A little pissed off at Donald Glover. They're to they need to land Van's story because I don't know if I like that Van steals the wig. Mm. And I kind of need there to be a point. I know there's probably going to be a Van specific episode. I believe there was one in season one, but I'm starting to be like, all right, what is going on with Van? I don't want her to have this stereotype of what society thinks of black women. I do want her to have an episode where I'm like, what's going on with her that is deep, but I'm worried that they might not pull it off. Am I being like, am I thinking too much about that? I don't think you are. I think that Donald is, uh, I think that that's just something, bro. That's just like, you know, all of these artists we love and we get, and look, people love us for what we do. And the more they get to know about us, the more they have to say about who we are. And there are many people who believe that, who don't trust in Donald Glover's ability to handle uh, black ladies in his stuff. And we've talked about the reasons why. And some of them may be fair. Some of them may be, may be unfair, but they exist. And so because of that, it's not a question about whether or not you're reading too much into it. The, the, that's not a thing at all. The question is whether or not the sh- it's up to the show to legislate that at all. You know, um, the show is what the show is. He's got a black lady stealing. He's got a black lady being aloof. He's got a black lady doing whatever. Is The question becomes whether or not it's up to Atlanta to uh, reconcile with a lot of people what Donald Glover's feelings about black ladies are. There are times in the show where I felt like he's 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 directly addressed it. The question is now, does he have to directly answer to some of the people who might believe some of these things? Because as long as there's a black female lead in the character, those questions are going to get asked. So I just think it's kind of a thing and it kind of is what it is. I'm really interested to know what's happening to her character because um, there's just been no consistency with the character. There's nothing to learn. It seems as if sometimes she's just there. And even when she's there, she seems like to be floating. And I don't know what the thing is. You know, there's one interesting thing to where he plays a little bit 
and this this was a good line for me. He says that he called her mother to see where she was. And her mother goes, uh, her mother didn't know where you were. And she goes, well, does your mother know where you are right now? And it, it seems as if even Earn, who is an involved guy, there's some probably entrenched misogyny there to where a woman's mom should know where she is or a grandmother to a ch- child, child should know where she is. Uh, he never probably thinks about the fact that his mama don't know where he at, but her mama should have known where she's at. So I like the little things, the little interplay uh, in that, but we're not really getting enough Earn or Van in this season to know what's what with, with who. Oh, I mean, and I do want to be, I do want to be very clear. I think that the thing that we also tend to do with Atlanta is um is that we make it so much of Donald Glover's vision that we kind of paper over the fact that there's like a lot of talented black writers on the show, a lot of talented black women who write on this show. So I just also want to be like Van has had very good storylines. Like Van actually I do think sometimes has been the character especially when Earn was down, who was the only person being like, "Yo, you have a kid." Like, what the fuck are you doing? You don't know what you're doing and you're selfish. I just kind of want to see more of that van because I know it's there. We just haven't gotten it yet. But I want, before we go, I want to pitch you on this other thing. Do you think potentially that Darius and Van, there might be something happening with them? Interesting. Why would you say that? In the first episode, second episode, but the first one we get with the gang back, they have their whole... uh they have their uh, their whole kind of like day together, right? And at the end of that episode, Ern walk like walks through the hall and he sees Van up late, and she goes into the room. And I was just like, "Is Van alone in that room? Did her and Darius have a connection?" And then in this episode, she says to Ern, "Yeah, Darius says that this is all a simulation," and it seems like she's kind of enamored, at least with the way that Darius thinks of the world. And I was wondering if there potentially might be something going on with them. I don't know if it's sexual. I don't know if it's a fr- budding friendship. But I, I've been starting to be like, hmm, what's going on with them? That would be a kick in the Niger Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> if that were, that's a great theory. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't I know, feel man. like Ern can't get mad at that. Can Wait, can Ern get mad at yeah, that? Yeah, what the fuck? That's his kid's mom. What kind of new age shit do y'all be on? Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying he has any dominion over her body, but can he be mad about it? Yeah. Like, like, hold, hold on. Where's producer Devin? We need a we need a lady's opinion here. <laughs> like, like, like producer Devin, let's say I, I see that you're married, right? I am, yeah. Okay, let's say that, like, you know, back in the day, you dated a guy, right? And let's say that you were in baby mama territory, right? And then you and him stop being pals or whatever. And then one of your friends dates him, the father of your child. Uh, How's that going to sit with you? You know, I just feel like there's so many human beings on this earth. And like to choose that one is a little bit strange. Strange like Steven. Oh, it's just weird. It's weird. Wait, well, all right, this is my last question. Would you think that your friend has been plotting the whole time? And would you start like wondering, like, hey, are you really my friend? Like, you know, 
I I guess it depends what the lead up would be or how they got together. Yeah. Ooh, this happened in Black Mirror episode. <laughs> Remember that episode of Black Mirror, White Christmas, where the dude was like, like kind of whole. Well, actually, that's different because they were together when that that Black Mirror, White Christmas is trippy. So trip. You ever watch Black Mirror, Charles? Hell no. That shit. I watched the first episode where the dude fucks the pig. I'm like, not for me, sir. Not for me. Black Mirror is an amazing show. All right, we got to get out of here. Uh, uh, anything left? What 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 are you what are you what are you giving this episode here? We had uh, white fashion. What are you giving this? Oh, uh, this is this is by far the best episode of this of this season. If they keep this up, I think people are going to be really really happy. If I had to give this out of like let's say out of ten, out of ten, I'm giving this episode an eight point five. What about you? Out of ten, what are you um, giving this episode? I, I think a solid eight point five. I, I agree. Eight, eight point five, maybe a nine. Even really good, really good stuff. Really good stuff. And for a lot of people who who are were getting antsy about, you know, the narrative of the show not really tracking with the main characters that we've come to learn, you got two in a row. So, I'll shut up. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, I am Van Lathan. That is Charles Holmes. You have been listening to the Ringers Prestige Podcast feed. Our producer for this episode has been Devin Manzi. So uh, this is the Ringer's Prestige Podcast feed. Thank you to Devin. Appreciate you, Charles. We'll be back next week. Hell yeah. Let's keep this train rolling. 